0: glad we have a great God that we can trust Him, no matter what's going on. You have your Bibles tonight. Once you go to a text we we used a couple of Sunday nights ago. Once you go to Psalm one nineteen, verse seventy three. Psalm one nineteen, verse seventy three. And when you find that, would you stand to your feet with me again, please? And we'll read those eight verses out of that set. Psalm one nineteen, verse number seventy three. Read through verse number eighty. And then we'll read one of those verses as a text verse, and I'll uh, begin to deal with something else. Now, while you're standing, let me say this. Pray for Sister Lauren Bilbury. She goes in tomorrow morning, and they're going to uh, have, the, uh, she's gonna have the, the baby. They're going to take the baby. And so everything's fine. They're just going to do that tomorrow morning. So do remember Lauren and the baby tomorrow, and uh, keep that in mind. Also, Brother Tony Evans, Brother uh, Jared's dad, uh, told me this morning, he's leaving church. He's going to have back surgery on Wednesday. Uh, in Nashville, so do remember Brother Tony as well. A couple of things there I told Brother Ted I should have got on his list, so do pray for those folks and remember them if you will. Psalm 119 verse 73, Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. They that fear thee will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in thy word. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. Let, Let I pray thee, thy merciful kindness be for my comfort according to thy word and thy servant. Let thy tender mercies come unto me that I may live, for thy law is my delight. Let the proud be ashamed, for they... Dealt perversely with me without a cause, but I will meditate in thy precepts. Let those that fear thee turn unto me, and those that have known thy testimonies. Let my heart be sound in thy statutes, that I be not ashamed. Verse number 80 is really the uh, text verse again tonight. I want us to read that verse together. You ready? Let my heart be sound in thy statutes, that I be not ashamed. And we talked a couple of nights ago about a sound heart, and really the purpose of that was to sort of lay the foundation for some sermons I'm going to do periodically on Sunday nights for the next uh, several weeks, and inter- interpose with some other things, but sound doctrine, the importance of sound doctrine. And so we're going to get something else tonight in sound doctrine. It has to come from a sound heart. Father, we thank you tonight for allowing us to be able to come and have this time. We could be together in the house. You've been so very good to us, and we're so very grateful for it. Now, Father, as we come to this portion of the service tonight, and Lord, we've, uh, we've had a good time here today. Uh, Lord, we've had folks saved and baptized and serving you and following you, and, and uh, Lord, we're just grateful for it. We've had a good time in the service tonight with our children and the singing and our fellowship, and now we've come to this portion of the service, and the bread of life has been broken. I have a message, I believe, most assuredly that you have given me for this hour. Lord, I pray that you'll give me unction to preach it and power to preach it. And Father, as I stand here once again, I am very, very, very well aware of my inability and my unworthiness to be here. And so I'd ask you once again to forgive me of my sin. Please cleanse me of the blood of Calvary. Holy Ghost, I pray you'd fill me with unction I can preach in such a way that everyone's here would feel like this message is for them and them alone. Lord, it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Interesting um, point. What I'm trying to bring out tonight, and, and certainly uh, this week, as I begin praying, but actually I had something else I, in my mind at least I wanted to do. The Holy spirit had been dealing with me about this, and it's really just a basic, fundamental doctrine. And you'll find nothing new from what I'm going to say tonight, but the importance of sound doctrine. And I've simply entitled this "The Word of God," the Bible. Now that may sound elementary, but I want you to understand something. Everything that you and I know about God comes from this book. And what is going to fashion your faith in God, the way that you serve God, doctrine and everything else, is what you think about this book, what you believe about the Word of God. Now, that that seems elementary. And by the way, it is elementary. It's not hard. And it is very, very important that we have a very sound faith that we have in our possession the Word of God. Not something that is just being changed, something that is sort of growing to meet society. By the way, that's the way a lot of... uh, Uh, People even, quote-unquote, Christian people feel about the Word of God. They think that it is, as our society is, quote-unquote, advancing. So the Word of God's advancing. And if that's your idea about the Word of God, you're in trouble. Uh, You're you're, going to find that your faith is uh, movable. You're going to find that it's not solid. And you're going to find that when the troubles and toils of this life come, that you're going to find yourself in trouble. And you're going to find yourself drifting uh, from the faith of our fathers, so to speak. And, and so tonight we're going to look at something that I, I guess often that I mention here in different aspects uh, of, of preaching, but we're going to look at the Word of God. Now, <clears throat> there's three things that guide you and I in life. Everybody must be guided in life. And one of the things that I look at when I teach the Word of God and, uh, and, and think about the Word of God is every one of us tonight? As you view life, when you look at your family, and uh, you, you you look at husbands and wives, parents and children, you, you you look at siblings, you 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 look at at the family structure and what it is and what it isn't. You you, you get your 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 thinking of that from one of three places, and all of us do. Everybody in the world, you get your, your views on that from one of three places. And I'm just mentioning the family, It does with everything in life. And, and depending on where we get our views is what's going to mold and shape and make what we do or what we don't do. And, and so there's one of three things. And so in the way of introduction, I'm going to look at these three things to start with. Number one, uh, we get them from our own conscience. Now, I want you to open your Bible with me, if you will, to First uh, Timothy chapter 4. And in First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, we're going to get those verses tonight, and, and I want to show you something about the first position that most people look at, especially in our country today, as to where they get their views about everything. Now, I mentioned family, so we'll just sort of stick with family a little bit. Uh, now, this is true with every principle, every doctrine, every area of our life, not just with family. But for the sake of this message and sake of this point, at least, in this message, then we're going to look at family. And where to, what do we get where we think about it. Number one, it is how I feel about it or what I think. And so in, in 1 Timothy 4, verse number one, it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, here, here's the great truth. He, Paul starts telling young Timothy, uh, his protege, uh, and, and a young man that he had raised up into faith that he's going to leave to establish the churches and ordain elders in a lot of places. He says, now listen, the spirit, and notice that word spirit's capitalized, speaketh expressly that in the latter days some shall depart from the faith. Now, that's an interesting phrase. He says, now, God has said, the Holy Ghost has said, that as this thing gets older, and we are 2,000 years older now than it was then, uh, in the latter times, we're certainly later than they were, that some are going to depart from the faith. Now, they're going to they're leave the faith, they're they're not going to have faith in the word of God or in the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and then it tells you how they're going to act and what they're going to do, and they're uh, they're they're going to give they're going to give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And uh, but how do they do that? Notice the last part of verse number two when it says, "Having their conscience seared with a hot iron." Now it is a very dangerous thing for you and I to be led by our own emotions and feelings. That's a very dangerous thing. It is a very dangerous thing for, you, for, for me to look at my life and say, i tell you what I think about family. This is how I feel. This is how I see it. You say, why is that a dangerous thing? Well, well because my conscience can get seared with a hot iron. And you say, well, my conscience tells me what to do. Your conscience might not be guiding you as well as you think it is. And and you might find yourself in trouble following your own feelings about anything. And and that's where we're at with the family today. The the, the cornerstone for any society is the home, the family. And we're in our nation today where that has been destroyed. We're in our nation today where that's been destroyed in our churches. And, and, And there must be this teaching and understanding that the home is the, uh, it is the centerpiece of everything in society. What is the home? Well, it's not what I think it is. What I think it is is probably pretty irrelevant. What I feel like it is is probably pretty relevant also. What does the Bible say it is? But if I look at my conscience, and that's what's happening in our society today. Well, this is how I feel, and this is the way I see it, and this is, well, we're in trouble if that's that way. And, and by the way, that's true in everything in life. When I approach life, how do I approach it? Well, a lot of us, unfortunately, it's the pride of life. It is my pride. It is uh, your pride. And we approach it saying, this is how I feel. This is how I see it. Well, but I guarantee you one thing, your conscience can lead you in the wrong way. If you say, well, I'm just following my conscience. I'm just, uh, by the way, you say, I'm following my heart. The Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? There's great truth in that. You start following your own conscience and your own heart, you're going to find yourself leaving the faith, departing from the faith, and giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. By the way, that's how come we've got today that people don't think that marriage is very important. That's why they think that marriage could be between two men or two women. That's why they think marriage is. It is this just, just destroyed the thing of marriage? Uh, that's why home is no more a unit of a mother and a father and, uh, leading, guiding children, and, and it's destroyed, the whole atmosphere of the home. Why is that? Well, this is the way I see it. This is the way I feel. And they've left the whole thing of what God says. So your conscience is going to lead you wrong. By the way, it'll do it in every area, not just in a home. It'll lead you wrong in every area. Number two, not only are we guided by our conscience... Uh, sometimes we're guided by the philosophy of man. Now, I'm going to tell you something. It has been amazing to me. It's always been amazing to me. But the number of people that are looking at the philosophies of other people. And uh, they, they read these quote-unquote philosophers. Uh, and, and they read them. Plato. Socrates. They read what they wrote. And uh, uh, they, they, they 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 look at them. And they listen to what they say. It, it is amazing. They They look at all of these... Uh, different philosophers. And by the way, with, with the ease of Googling something today, you can find all kinds of philosophers. You can find people that you don't even know if that's really what they said or not. Somebody just said they said it. And you find all kinds of philosophy and, and, and all kinds of things that you look at and and and, and it's movable and it's changeable. And, and, it, and you hear these things of like, well, it's growing with us and we're growing right. and and, and, it, and it's progressive, and boy, you hear those kind of terms thrown out there, and and it fits our society, and and things have changed from what they were. And by the way, things have not changed from where they were. Uh, is is interesting? Uh, uh, the uh, uh, Brian and Nicole Templeton gave gave me a book, and this afternoon I picked up and started reading in front of the book. It was famous documents in America. And uh, I sitting there in my office and reading, and I read a uh, uh, there's 16 things in the front of it. Uh, called the Letters of, uh, 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 of Silence, do good. Do you good to pick that up sometime and read it? It's Benjamin Franklin wrote it when he was sixteen years old. You know the interesting thing about that? that's been written over two hundred fifty years ago. The same sin and the same problems that we're dealing with today, he was writing about then. And you think that it's changed? It hasn't changed at all. It's not changed at all. It is identical to what it was then. Now, what, what happened then? He was trying to write society then. As a 16-year-old kid, it was an amazing thing to read what the things he wrote. Uh, but but here, here are these... By the way, it's amazing his understanding at 16 years old what was going on with society. And, and, and you, you, you see this great truth. They were following the philosophy of man. And so you're either following your own conscience or you found somebody else to follow Some philosopher, someone that's got this ingenious way of living, or, or, and by the way, under philosophy, I put all kinds of idol worship and false isms and things of that nature, Uh, cults, all of that falls under that philosophy. Or you follow the Bible. You follow this blessed old book. And you let God's word be what guides your life. And by the way, God's Word will will take precedence over my feelings. God's Word will say, I don't care how you feel about that, Mike. This is right. And so you and I as Christians, we have to come to a point where we say, I I believe the Bible. I just believe the Bible. I just believe what it says is right. And I'm going to base my life on the word of God. I'm not basing it on how I feel, but what does God say? By the way, some, for some way, when I got saved as a teenager and I wasn't raised uh, in, in Sunday school and church and vacation Bible school and going to those things as a, as a child. And a lot of times people say, well, the reason you believe that you was raised that way. Now, I have good parents now, good uh, parents that raised me, uh, no right and wrong and restrict with Trevor and I. They'll, he'll tell you that. Required a lot out of us. But as far as all this doctrine and stuff, I, I didn't know none of that. Some somehow or other, when I got saved, I just decided that the Bible, if I'm going to trust it enough to believe what it says about heaven and hell and how to get to heaven, I'm going to trust it enough about everything else. And so it always amazes me when Christians, quote unquote, don't follow the Bible. It just It's just something that just really amazes me that they look at and say, well, this is the way I feel. Who cares how you feel? What does the Bible say about it? Now, by the way, the average Christian don't like it when you say that to them. And they don't don't like that. Well, it matters what I feel. Well, I can tell you my feelings will lead me wrong, and I have an idea yours will, you. I have an idea that my flesh will lead me wrong. It did Paul. It probably will me and you both. You understand that. And so what does the Bible say about something? What does the Bible say about home? Well, the Bible says God created the home in the Garden of Eden. God put it together. There's a husband and wife, male and female. It's the only two genders there are. You say, how do you know that? The Bible tells me so. I don't have to have no scientific study about it. I don't have to look at it. The Bible tells me that. By the way, science is slowly but surely catching up that the Bible's right. There's great truth in that. It's always right. And and you, you can be right, even if, if you don't know why you're right, just by doing what the Bible says. You see, the Bible tells me how home's supposed to run, and how a man's supposed to love his family and lead his wife and his children and supposed to be the head of his house and he's supposed to be a man and not something that doesn't know what he is and doesn't know how to lead and guide and the Bible says that and 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 the word of God tells me how a home is to work and to operate the Bible tells me that and I don't care what society says about it and I'll guarantee you that if you will do what the Bible says you'll find it'll work so you're you're guiding your, your lifetime now, I want you to answer me out loud but what do you what are you guiding your life on whenever you get up tomorrow morning and you go to work what are you what are you doing are you saying, this is how I feel about what I should and shouldn't do? Or I've been listening to this guy and I've been reading this philosopher and I've been reading about this. Or do you get out this blessed old book and you say, how does the Bible tell me how to live today? How does the Bible tell me how to approach the people I work with? How does the Bible tell me how to approach the problems I have in life? Do you base it on your own feelings, your own instincts, your own flesh, do you base it on what some other person would say or do you read and study the word of God and say, what does God want me to do? And by the way, there's a huge difference in all that. I just found out a long time ago that whenever I just die to myself, find out what the Bible says and just do it, that I have peace, I don't have to back up and punt. I don't find myself going down the wrong road. It's just right. And so you're leading, I'm leading my life by one of three things. You're leading your life by one of three things in everything we do. Your conscience, your feelings, the philosophies of others, or you've got your feet planted squarely on the Word of God. And Whatever you do, you're doing it because the Bible has told you to do it. The Bible tells me so. So that's a very important thing with the Bible. Now then, having laid that out as a just sort of a, 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 a just a premise here, the Bible, the Bible becomes the battleground. The Bible has always been the battleground. If you think that the Bible is not the battleground, then you, you've never really read the Bible. Nor have you tried to live by it and encouraged others to live by it. Now let me show you this. Open your Bible to Genesis chapter 3. I want to show you this, the battleground. Now some of you know exactly where I'm going and why I'm going there. And uh, if, if this is old hat to you, then uh, you just need to be reminded of it. If you don't, it'll help you some. Now I want you to notice that the Bible is the battleground. That's where the battleground's at. Where's this battle going to be fought for what we're following our lives and what we're building our culture on what we're teaching our children, and what we're guiding people in, and what we're trying to see with well, the Bible is the battleground. Now in Genesis chapter uh, 3 and verse number 1, Adam and Eve have been placed in the Garden of Eden. They've been brought together by God, created special for each other by God. They've been married by God. They've been put in the Garden of Eden. There's no sin. uh, There's no sorrow. There's no pain. There's no problem whatsoever. They have one commandment, one commandment only to keep, and that's it. Great life. And along comes our adversary, the devil. Verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of field which the Lord God had made And he said to the woman, Yea, if God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. I want you to notice the battle is immediately on the Word of God. It's on the Bible. Satan did not come to... And I'll prove... We're going to read a few verses here. Adam and Eve are together here. He didn't find Eve by herself somewhere. We're going to prove that in just a moment. They're together but he comes to them and the, the couple's together and he says to Eve, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat every tree of the garden. Now, by the way, he didn't come and say, Hey, Eve, there is no God. He didn't say that. He, he didn't come to Eve and, 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 and try to say, Well, you know, you just, you just sort of popped up here. You don't know how you got here. He said, Did God really say what you think he said? Did he really mean what he said? Now he's quoting God, and and Satan's very deceitful and subtle, and he still does that today, and and the battleground is, did God really say that? Now go back, look at the verse. Now the serpent was more subtle than he beats the field which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said... You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now, he's casting doubt upon the authority and authenticity of the Word of God. The battleground is the Word of God. Now, watch our answer. Verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, Eve says, You know what? God has said... We can eat of anything we want to eat. We can really do anything we want to do. But there is a tree in the midst of the garden, in the middle of the garden. We can't eat of it, and we can't even touch it. Now if we do, we're going to die. And God has said that we can eat of anything we want to eat, do anything we want to do, but that one tree is off limits. It's off limits. By the way, it was off limits. She knew that. And so did Adam standing right beside her. Now watch what Satan does. and He's still doing it today. Verse 4. And the serpent said to the woman, Ye shall not surely die. He said, That's a lie. You're not going to die. That can't happen. It's not that serious. And then he says this. Verse 5, for God doth know that in the day eat thereof, then your eyes shall be as opened, and you shall be as God's, knowing good and evil. Now the battle becomes, does God know what he's talking about or not? Is the word of God correct? Does God have the wisdom that he says he has? He says, you're not really going to die. If you eat of that, it will not kill you. By the way, how many times have you heard someone over the course of your life, and you've older, heard this, well, if you do that, it's not going to kill you. If you go to this place, it's not going to kill you. If you go to this group and hang out with them, it's not going to kill you. How many times have you heard somebody say that? Those of you that are older, you've heard that said a lot. It's not going to kill you to go there. Well, that's exactly what Satan said to Eve. You think that's an original statement? That's been one of the first things he said. You're not going to die. It's not going to kill you to be a part of that. It's not going to kill you to go be involved in that. It's not going to kill you to be there. He's a liar. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That's what James says about sin in chapter 1 of the book of James. Sure, it's going to kill you if you do go against God's will. Sure, you break the commandments of God, it's going to kill you because sin brings forth death. And he said, it's not going to kill you. He said, as a matter of fact, it's going to help you. It's going to enlighten you. It's going to make you more well-rounded. It's going to make you... Oh, that sounds like what society says now. Y'all listening to me? Well, you're going to be smarter You're going to be like God. You're going to be able to figure out for yourself what is right and wrong. You're going to be like God. You're going to be able to tell others what they should and shouldn't do. You don't have to listen to God. God knows that if you eat of that tree, you're going to be like God, and God doesn't want you to be like God. God wants to keep you down, and God wants you to make your own decisions, and God, wants you to, God doesn't want you making your decisions, but if you, if you eat that, then you can decide for yourself what is right and wrong. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. It's not going to change. Because the battle is, does God know what he's talking about? It's always been that way. The battle is, is this perfect? Is God right? Is God lying? Is God exaggerating it? Does God know what he's saying? You either believe he does or you don't. You either either think, oh yeah, God knows what he's talking about and I'm just going to do what God says or you do what Eve does. And what does she do? Look at verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. By the way, I told you that he was with her. Verse 6 tells me he was with her. He was standing right there by her, listening to this conversation. Everything that was said by Satan to his wife, he heard it. He's seen it. And she makes a decision. decision is, why, God's not telling us the truth. Why, look how good that is, lust of the flesh. Why, it's pleasant to the eyes. It's desired to make one wise. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes... The pride of life. If that sounds familiar to you, it's because 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16 list those three things as all that's in the world. It's all that's here now, it's all it's ever been. Those three things. And she ate it. And she gave it to her husband. He ate with her. And what happened to him? They died. Spiritually and eventually physically. Would never have happened had they not questioned the authenticity and the authority of the Word of God. And Satan's doing the same thing tonight about the Word of God in my life and your life. He's very subtle. He wants to come to you just like he came to Eve. He wants to deceive you just like he deceived Eve. He wants to get you to deny and doubt That the Bible is exactly right. That's what he's after. One of the things that you and I have to do as, as parents and as adults is teach another generation that the Word of God is the foundation. It's not a foundation, it's the foundation. It is what Jesus said in John chapter fourteen and verse number six when He says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." He did not say, "I am a way, a truth, and a life." I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what the Word of God is, because Jesus is the Word made flesh. And so, we have in our possession tonight the Bible, and the battle is over it. As a church, we're either going to rise or fall on what we think about the Bible. As a Christian, you're going to either rise or fall in what you think about the Bible. Is it right in everything it says? Of course it is. Of course it is. As you go in life, you're, you're going to find, listen, we, we are raising a generation today that's been, their faith is being attacked, our faith, the generation living today, our faith is being attacked on every facet, every day. Did God create us? Of course He did. As the Bible says He did. Now I know, I know it's being attacked. My, my. When I was a sophomore in high school, I had a teacher over here at Cumberland County High School stood me up in class one day and tried to make me admit evolution was right and the Bible was wrong. You say, What did it do to you? It made me mad, not at her, because I couldn't defend my faith the way I should have. It made me study. But hey, they're still attacking it. I mean, attacking it just like they somehow, or another we've evolved, and that we are evolving. No, we're not. We're created. And, and the truth is, the Bible says that. So is the Bible perfect? All right, let me give you another passage. Once you go to First Timothy chapter three and verse sixteen, once you see something. Now, this is one of those passages about the Bible that you need to at least memorize that it's there, that you can read it, Second Timothy chapter 3. I'm actually going to back up a little bit. I'm going to back up to verse 13. You at least ought to know it's there, Even and it would probably be good to memorize it. Now I want you to notice, starting in verse 13, Paul's speaking to Timothy again. We were in 1 Timothy chapter 4 a few minutes ago. Now we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I want you to notice what he says to him in verse 13. But evil men and seducers... Shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, by the way, it almost seemed that Paul's trying to discourage Timothy, wouldn't it? I mean, in 1 Timothy, he said, Hey, this know also, in the last days, perilous times are going to come. Listen, he says, You know what? They're going to depart from the faith. And then he writes him another epistle and he says, Hey, evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Is he trying to discourage him? No, he's warning him. It's happening to us. And so, what are we to do about it? Notice this, what, here, what Timothy was, verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. He says, Let me tell you what you do. You just keep doing what you were once doing. One of the problems we have in our church is that we've got so many folks wanting to change it. They want to change the doctrine, they're, they're, they're wanting to make it modern. They're wanting to uh, do what they call normalize it with society. That is not what we're to do when evil men and seducers are getting worse and worse. We're to continue in the things that we've been learning. Watch the next verse. And that from a child thou hast known the... What does it say? Holy Holy Scriptures. Now watch what they're able to do. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make thee wise and the salvation through through faith which is in Christ Jesus. He says, now listen, I want you to continue in the things that you've learned. Now from a child you have known the holy scriptures. Listen, this is a holy book. It is a divine book. It is a, a book that is not like any other book in all the world. It is something that ought to be revered by you and I. It is one of these things that ought to take a, a, a place of a little higher, a great higher in our life than any other book. And then in verse 16, the verse we started for, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Now, now here's something you either believe or don't believe about the Bible. When it says all Scripture is given by inspiration, that word inspired means God breathed. You either believe or don't believe that God said this as it's written. It's that simple. You either believe or don't believe that God said in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, you either believe that's perfect or you don't. Now, it's that simple. It is as simple as you believe that you have in your possession the Word of God or you believe it's fallible and it has the words of God. Now, by the way, there's a huge difference in that. There's a huge difference in that statement. well, we have the Word of God... That means we think it's perfect, or you have the words of God. It just contains, you know, the thoughts that God wants us to know. By the way, there's a lot of people that claim to be theologians and preachers, and, and they've got doctorates behind their name, and they've got more degrees than the thermometer, and they'll tell you we don't have the word of God. We've got the words of God. That is a dangerous doctrine, because what it does, it takes away from the fact that this is a perfect book. And Paul says to Timothy, I'm going to tell you what, you've got something inspired by God. And that's what you knew and that's what you need to stay with and that's what you're going to stay with all through your life. It'll help you. Now, notice what it does in verse 16 and 17. And we're going to go to verse chapter 4. You're going to see something else about the importance of this book. Verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. God gave it. Now watch this. And is profitable. Number one for doctrine. (coughs) When I was in high school, there was beginning to be a movement and um, it, it sort of took the country a little bit that doctrine is not important. And you would hear this statement, doctrine divides. Now some of you older folks, you've probably heard that said and, and they say, we, we just want to all meet together and we all want to be one group and one body and we're not going to talk about doctrine. Well, that's an impossibility. Uh, It's an impossibility of anything in life. Uh, I don't care. You go wherever that you're working tomorrow morning. You walk in, you've got a doctrine that's been set forth. And the doctrine is just the basic principles and ideas of what it's founded on. It's interesting to me. I like to read plaques as I go in buildings and different things, and they've got them on the wall. And it's amazing. Uh, Hospitals always have, here is our Doctrine. And what if you got in there and said, oh, well, we don't believe in doctrine, just don't talk about that? Well, then you don't know what's going to happen to you when you go in there. You, 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 you go, doctrine is the basics of thought that is behind anything. The Bible is the basics for our doctrine. You must have doctrine. By the way, I found out early on those folks that were saying, doctrine divides and we don't want doctrine, they had doctrine okay. And their doctrine was, we don't believe God said it. We believe we have the, uh, we can follow our conscience. We can do what our flesh says. We're going to do what we feel. That was and is their doctrine. And they were very much that you're going to follow their doctrine. I don't care what they called it, doctrine or not. It was their doctrine. Now watch this. Go back to verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is proper for doctrine. Now watch this next word. For a proof. In other words, the Bible tells me that I'm wrong. The Bible tells me what a home is. The Bible tells me, by the way, I said this the other day, uh, there's a verse of Scripture in in Proverbs 18 says, He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing. And I found a great thing when I found Elizabeth. But the Bible tells me how to treat her. The Bible tells me how I'm to love her, and I'm to love her like Christ loves the church. And the Bible tells me how to treat her. The Bible tells me how to treat my children. The Bible tells me how to treat my neighbors. The Bible guides my life. And you know what my flesh wants to do? Not do what God says. So the Bible says, Mike, you're wrong. Well, I don't feel that way. You're wrong. So the Bible is profitable doctrine for proof. Now, watch this. Watch the next word. For correction. The Bible corrects us. It should correct us. And instruction. In righteousness. In the Bible, there's nothing that you're going to do tomorrow that decisions you're making about people and life and what to do and what not to do, that the Bible doesn't give you the instruction of how you ought to do it. Certainly in the home, part of our problems is, is we're getting our instruction from other things and other philosophies rather than the Word of God. It's instruction. Now, why? Verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, spiritually mature, truly furnished into all good works. The Bible is the only thing that will guide you and I to the good works God wants us to have. Now watch chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead his appearing kingdom. Now, ah, great truth. The quick and the dead means those that have been quickened and those that have not been quickened, the saved and lost. I'm going to stand before Jesus. You're going to stand before Jesus. Every one of us is going to stand in front of him and he is going to judge us. Now keep reading, verse 2. Preach the, what does it say? Word. Word. Paul says to Timothy, I tell you what I want you to preach. I want you to preach the word. And then he says, be instant in season, out of season. By the way, there's times you preach and people say, hey man, that's a great thing. And there's times you preach and they look at you and they think, and you think, they're going to shoot me any minute. There's times you say things that just chaff society. There's times whenever you're preaching and that word preach doesn't necessarily mean what I'm doing right now tonight. That's not all it means. It does encompass that. But the word preach means to proclaim. There's times that you're going to be at your job and you're going to say, hey, you know what? The Bible says there's only two genders. You're proclaiming the word of God. And and, and sometimes people are going to say, hey, that's right, I agree with that. And other times you're going to find people getting mad about that and they don't like it. It's great truth. They don't like it. Paul says, now you, you do it in season when people are agreeing with you and shaking their head and patting you on the back and telling you, you keep doing it. You do it out of season when they're all against you, you still keep doing it because you're preaching the word. We're proclaiming the word. Be instant in season. Back to verse 2. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Now watch this. Reprove. Rebuke and exhort with all long-suffering. And what's that last word? Doctrine. Doctrine. He says, now, Timothy, here's what I want you to do. Preach the Word. In season, out of season. Reprove. By the way, that that word reprove means that you teach why you're right. The word rebuke is a little stronger. It's like with children. Now watch this. Come here, man. See, he learned good as a kid. <laughs> now, there are a lot of times whenever Carl was a kid, that, uh, come up here, man. He was, I started to say something I need to say. He was a normal kid now. And there were times that he'd want to do something his own way. I don't know when he wanted to do that every day. <laughs> and there were times I'd set Carl down and say, now, look, This is why I want you to do it this way. And we talk about everything. And here's why you should do it this way. Now that's reproving. Sometimes, he's sharp like his mama. Sometimes he'd see it. And sometimes he's stubborn like his daddy. Now y'all agree with that. And he'd say, I'm not going to do that. Now you see, a reproof is where you take the word of God and you teach what the Bible says. You understand that? you got to do that to Edith now. God bless you. <laughs> you understand that? Now, then there are times that you give the reproof and you teach him what the Bible says and he says, I'm going to do what I want anyhow. What's the next word in the verse? Y'all, are you paying attention? Reprove, what's the next word? Rebuke. The rebuke means... Now, I've told you why it's right, that you're going to do what I said. That's a rebuke. There's a difference in the two words. Did we ever have those kind of conversations? <laughs> you never liked them, did you? <laughs> now, watch this. That is what you're to do with the Word of God. The Word of God. And if you're doing it, by the way, as a parent, I always wanted to say, now, Carl, this is what the Bible says. I want to show you what the Bible says. It's not just because I say so. It's because God says it's the Word of God. And, and there's a reproof, and there's a rebuke. Sometimes i had to say, listen, I've tried to show you. You see it, and he could quote to me what I showed him, but he's still not going to do it. So now there's a rebuke. As long as you live under my roof, this is what you're doing. that ever said? <laughs> Did you live under my roof for a long time? Until you lived under her roof when you got married. Let me clarify that. You lived under my roof until the day they got married, and then they lived under their roof. That's the way it ought to be. <laughs> now it's her problem, not mine. <laughs> now now watch this. I'm trying to help somebody with the Word of God. I really am trying to help you tonight. And I want you to understand something. It is the Word of God now. And there's reproof. And then there's rebuke. And what does the next word say? Man, so y'all, If y'all want to help me now, I'm going to have to go back and start all over. Do you think you can help me a little bit? All right. What's the next word? Exhort. exhort. Now, here's what exhort is. You see, there's there's reproof. There's rebuke. And the word exhort means to encourage. You understand that? So there are times that there'd be some reproof and there'd be some rebuke. And you know what would happen? He'd still get in trouble. And you know what sin always does? It destroys you. And then there's a time when I have to come to him and say, look, I love you. Let me show you how God's going to help you out of this trouble you're in. Let me show you how the Word of God is going to lift you up, encourage you, strengthen you. You see, the Word of God is not just... Thou shalt not. And that's what some people look at it. I see other people, I just don't like it. This trying to guide my life. Yeah, it tries to guide your life. Trying to control me. No, it's trying to help you. It's trying to get you to see the reproof why it's right. The rebuke after you see that, don't do that. But then there's encouragement. Word of God should be there to show you how to get back up on your feet after you've fallen. The Word of God is there to show you how that God forgives you and how that God loves you and why God said in the first place not to do that or why God said to do that. And so the Word of God is to be proclaimed. Preach the Word. Be as to end season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Now what does the next phrase say, the whole phrase? With all long-suffering and doctrine. Now by the way, that means that you don't just do it once, you continue doing it. <laughs> I'm still doing it 29 years later. I haven't it publicly tonight. What do you think about that? Now, now, now watch. That's what God says we're to do with the Word of God. You see, the Word of God, thank you. The Word of God is this great book that God's given us. It's inspired by God. It is the Word of God. It is the foundation for everything in our lives. You know what our problem with Parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and as teachers and mentors and adults is the young people do not see that's what we base our lives on. How how am I to reprove and rebuke and exhort? If I'm looking, well, this is the way I feel about it. Who cares what I feel? I ought to be able to say, let me show what the Bible says about that. Let me show what the Scripture says about that. Let me teach you what the Word of God says. Now I'm about done. Go back to the start of chapter 4, and I want you to notice something. Verse 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ... Who shall judge the quick and his dead and appear in the kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Now watch the warning. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heed to themselves teachers having itching ears, and shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Just because that some are trying to turn away from it doesn't mean I need to follow suit. Just because that there's a, a crowd that says that's too old fashioned doesn't mean I need to follow. By the way, I've lived long enough now to test it in my own life. I've lived long enough now to see it tested in the life of my children. I've watched it in Carl's life. I've watched it in Leanne's life. I could have brought you up here. I should have brought them up together. That would have been a neat thing. But <laughs> I might just do that over. Now, watch this. I've lived long enough to watch that. And it works. It works in our lives whenever we base our lives on the book. It helps your children to know it's based on the Word of God, not how you feel. Not because you're mad, sad, or glad, but because of what the Bible says. It helps a generation to see someone that's based on the Word of God. It'll help the people where you work. To know that you do what you do because this is what the Bible says. That you forgive and love people because the Bible says so. That you treat people in the right manner because the Bible says so. It'll make a difference where you work. It'll make a difference everywhere you're at if you will base your life on the Bible. And so for the next little while we begin to look at doctrine. It's because we're going to base it on the Bible. The Bible. We're going to look at all kinds of doctrine. Things that affect your lives, my life, your life. But one of the things that you must do is base it on this book. Hey, parents and grandparents, great grandparents, let me encourage you something tonight. Our children are facing some real battles from our, from our enemy, the devil. The greatest thing you can do for them is pray for them every day. And show them at home that what you say you believe at church is true. Read the Bible with them. Talk about the Bible with them. Tell them what the Bible says and why you say, no, I don't want you doing this. And here's why. It's not my opinion. God says we shouldn't do this. I do want you to do this. And this is why I want you to do it. Because the Bible says so it will have a lot greater effect. And if you say, you do this because I said so and because I feel like it. Now you've got to reprove. You've got to rebuke sometimes. And listen, when they fall, you've got to exhort. And you've got to stay with it. And the foundation must always be this book. It must always be this book. And that's what we've got to do as a church. And there's sound doctrine that comes from a sound heart and it's all based on the Holy Word of God. Every head bowed and every eye closed.